and welcome to The Screen Test of Time, the podcast where we watch every movie ever nominated for Best Picture and then tell you if the Academy chose correctly or not. I... Huh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> listeners. This week's was a, was rough, and I just finished watching it. I'm Susan Raslin. And I lost so much respect for Wallace Beery in the past week. Uh, I'm David Daw. <laughs> this week, we are continuing the 1934 Academy Award nominees with yet another racist caricature movie called Viva Via, starring Wallace Beery of The Champ. As Pancho Villa. <laughs> I just, I don't want to bury the lead, David. This movie fails the screen test of time. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> and the thing that is, I think, maybe most insulting from our perspective is that there's this initial five minute, like, backstory intro thing that makes you think maybe it. Maybe it didn't. May, you know, now that I think about it, we do bad racist lead casting like this still in 2018. So, like, maybe they'll pull it out because the first scene has so many actual... Mexican li- people in it? <laughs> yeah, yes. Like, and you think, like, oh, did they just film on location and do a good job and just needed Wallace Beery for name? Pa- nope. It's just there's this bizarre first scene from a good movie that handles these ideas and people well, and then the rest of the movie happens. It was heart-rending, which I think was important, and it shows, you know, why Pancho Villa became a revolutionary and how oppressed the vast majority of Mexican people were by the aristocracy, and then it is just a, a sharp down it's not even a, a, a slide it's just like off of a cliff immediately yes the moment that wallace beery appears on screen you're like oh okay this movie will never redeem itself <laughs> no nope. literally from the very first shot you see him in you're like they can't square this circle they're doomed they're not pulling this one out of a tailspin slash nosedive i don't know i don't know what the actual term here is but it's just total downhill so this movie is ostensibly a biopic about Pancho Villa. And I have to say that they do, at the very least, at the beginning, have some credits that say, like... Oh, th- this is what I wanted to bring up. This is not actually based on a true story. It is a fictionalized version of the myth of Pancho Villa. <laughs> it goes off history just enough It's like you have one of those weird dreams where you just roll with it and then you wake up and you go, wait, no, that makes no sense. That like I my high school teacher can't be hanging out with me at this party. It does that kind of level of historical revisionism. And it required me to stop and go to Wikipedia and go, well, now that wasn't. What actually happened every 10 minutes or so? I'm really glad that you mentioned that when we were talking over text because it did help as far as me being able to get through the movie in one sitting without taking too many breaks. But also, I mean, I have to say, like, before I saw this movie, I knew that Pancho Villa was a hero of the Mexican Revolution. And that was it. I have no precious feelings about Pancho Villa going into this. And I didn't know anything about him. And had I watched this movie, I would still not know anything about him. 
what I wanted to say is, one, the actual specific thing at the start of the credits sequence, which I love and more movies should do, is suggested by the book by, <laughs> which is not even based on a true story. It's this book had some ideas and we kind of rolled with it. I feel like there are a number of fictional adaptations that could even use that because... Obviously, that would be less infuriating because it's not based on the true story of an actual historical person who, at the time that this was made, was only very recently dead. Yes, and I think that's the reason why they put so much effort into saying that this isn't the true story, because they very definitively resolve the mystery of who killed Pancho Villa. To the point where you would never understand that actually that was or is an outstanding question of history. So I don't even know how much we need to go through the plot in one go, because I feel like I'm going to continuously stop and say like, except that's not what really happened. (laughs) Yeah, and can I actually, I I would like to do the just, well, I don't know. Yeah, I see what you're saying, because I was going to suggest doing the just 20 second simplistic version of it presented in this movie um but then we would have to pop out for a 10 minute intermission on the actual history of Pancho Villa because there is this thing the movie does where it wants to kind of present him as this uncomplicatedly good guy even though he killed a lot of people arguably unnecessarily even in the film just straight up murders people in a war setting And people are constantly complaining about it. And it's played off as this weird, like, I'm just a simple, violent revolutionary. Where it's, where like, I just don't understand your big city rules about war crimes. (laughs) One of the ways in which they do this, and I think the thing that for me was perhaps even more infuriating than casting a dude from Ohio as a Mexican folk hero, was that he is portrayed as if he basically has the intellectual capacity of a toddler to the point where the way that he talks is what you could imagine Slowpoke Rodriguez from Looney Tunes sounding like as he was learning to speak. So he speaks in this, like, horrible... Is is there... I'm... Is there a second character I'm forgetting, or did you just call Speedy Gonzalez Slowpoke Rodriguez? No, Slowpoke Rodriguez is Speedy Gonzalez's cousin. Oh, you're- yes, I just- it's been so long. (laughs) They did not actually give Pancho Villa in this movie as much dignity as Speedy Speedy Gonzalez. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, no, I- because he's such a minor Looney Tunes character, I had forgotten (laughs) the even more insulting racist character of Speedy Gonzalez's cousin. Because, like, at least Speedy Gonzalez, you know, breaks some stereotypes that Americans had of Mexicans, but Slowpoke Rodriguez is, like, lazy and- I mean, he's a Slowpoke to Speedy Gonzalez's speediness. Yes, Which is not to say that Speedy Gonzalez is, like, a good representation of the Mexican people, but I digress so far. (laughs) Yes. He's illiterate, which actually, I looked this up and that is historically accurate that Pancho Villa was illiterate, but the guy was a military genius, so to portray him as this incredibly simplistic, childlike 
person who just couldn't help himself in killing people and raping people and whatever is he accidentally robs a bank in this movie because he's so stupid he doesn't understand that he's not allowed to hold a teller up at gunpoint and take all the money right and and then his friend shoots the teller and they're just like no it's fine we'll just walk away and not be concerned if he's dead or alive yeah and like it's it is trying to deal with the the fact that the actual real-life Pancho Villa is kind of this complicated historical figure, and the Mexican Revolution is this complicated series of betrayals and counter-revolutions, and it is hard to have a single heroic protagonist out of it. But so let's just knock this square peg into this round hole as hard as we can by making him an idiot. Right. Um, And so everything he ever did wrong was just him not knowing to not do bad things. Right, exactly. And in in a lot of ways, what you said where he's just playing like, what if the champ, but he fucks? Yeah. Is totally it. <laughs> I mean, like, we we have to get through the, like, horrible, persistent racism of this film. But even beyond that, I lost a lot of respect for Wallace Beery because the performance is just so lazy. He does not bring anything new to Pancho Villa. He does not try and find some depth to the guy. He just plays the champ if the champ wanted to fuck chicks more. Like, that's it. That's all he's doing. Right, and English was his second language that he had only very recently learned. Uh, I'm so glad you texted me, by the way, on the scene that infuriated me the most of inexplicable dumb guy bits. Because the real-life Pancho Villa could not read... But that he seems mystified by the concept of a map, which is... Oh my god! Oh. You know, the, the uh, historical revolutionary figure, Madero, is in the movie because that brings him into the revolution. And Madero does this by treating him with enough respect to show him a map of Mexico. And Pancho Villa's like, what's this weird shape? It's an upside-down sombrero! And it's like, my dude has seen a map. How did he get to the town that he was robbing at the start of the movie if he's... D- d- <sighs> no, it is, it's, it, it's so incredibly insulting. And you hit on something there as well with it's hard to pick uncomplicated heroes and villains out of the Mexican Revolution, which I want to state for the record, I am making this statement based on literally reading the Pancho Villa Wikipedia page, <laughs> and I am not an expert in the history of the Mexican Revolution, though I will say the Pancho Villa Wikipedia page is really long and pretty comprehensive. It is a solid Wikipedia page, and I guess I will also say to hedge my bets, because it's not like I've read, you know, books and books on this either, I mean, it's generally hard to find a historical figure who is uncomplicatedly a hero, but especially when you have to just completely change the outcome of a war in order to make somebody an uncomplicated hero, you're, you're <laughs> reaching. Right. They make Madero into this very saintly figure who was absolutely the people's hero and he was going to do everything for the poor. And apparently, historically, he was a great disappointment when he became president. And not only General Pascal, who is the uncomplicated villain of the movie, but Pancho Villa himself, they were disappointed in the way that he was running the country 
It's just that Pascal was the one who ended up overthrowing him and Pancho Villa was hanging out in Texas or New Mexico. Yeah. New Mexico. I think at that time. Uh, yes. He was in America. In, in the United States. It's complicated because there's a whole period this movie leaves out where Pancho Villa attacks America. But I think the period that the movie does cover, he was hanging out in Texas that first time he goes into exile before he comes back and then gets forced out of that and goes into guerrilla fighting in the mountains and then attacks New Mexico is completely left out of the movie. <laughs> What's kind of disappointing is in reading the Wikipedia page, there's a lot of really fascinating things about Pancho Villa's life that are not included in this movie. Like part of the way that they paid soldiers was he struck a deal with a Hollywood studio where they could come and film his raids and he would get 50% of the profits from that. <laughs> Which I guess Hollywood can't really be like, hey, by the way, we also funded this guy's revolution. Yeah. <laughs> Who then later attacked America. I guess to get to it, we should do the very simplified version of this plot. We start off with this five-minute intro sequence that, again, I quite like. We see Pancho Villa as a young child watch his father get whipped to death by the ruling aristocracy of Mexico for daring to not want all of his land taken away. And then a young Pancho stabs one of the people that killed his father to death. Uh, and then we just cut to him running into the mountains or being a bandit as a grown man. He meets with Madero after we kind of have 10, 15 minutes of, and this is just the wider geopolitical thing. There's a whole bunch of hilarious side stories about reporters and Pancho Villa's multiple wives. Which that actually is historically accurate. He apparently just married women in every town. Yes, but he meets with Madero and sort of is won over to the idea of this revolution that's going to actually serve the poor butts heads with General Pascal, who's the much more, like, formally trained military leader of Madero's revolution, and is also... And is played by an Austrian-American Jewish actor named Joseph Schildkraut, who is incredibly hot. <laughs> okay. Like, insanely hot. There is a shot where they are sitting at a table together, and it's Schildkraut, I want to say Schildkraut, in profile. Yeah. And his cheekbones are so good that I had a moment where I was like, I wonder what highlighter he was using. And then remembered, like, this is 1934. He's not got Fenty on. <laughs> um. Anyway, yes. So he butts heads with Pascal. <laughs> because this, I did not pick up on this. I thought what you were going to talk about is, and by the way, after that first sequence, just everyone is played by a white person. Like every, yes. every major Mexican figure is played by a white person for the rest of the film, including like most of the love interests. The only person in this movie who even slightly could make a claim to having any business playing a Mexican person is Leo Carrillo, who plays basically the sidekick character because he was Castilian Spanish. Because I looked everyone up. I was like, please, let any one person in this be some kind of Spanish speaker. Yeah. And and it's, it's just the sidekick that gets dunked on all the time and does dumb guy jokes to make himself look dumb next to our dumb guy leader. Right, except for the fact that Carrillo 
was act- I mean, he was American. He was just of Castilian ancestry. Right. right. <laughs> and he was the sidekick on the Cisco Kid, which if anyone has ever seen that television show, he basically plays exactly the same character in this movie. The sidekick's name is Poncho, but don't be confused by that. <laughs> Madero wins the revolution, but decides to like kind of make peace and keep a continuation of state. And so he doesn't want to bring Pancho Villa to Mexico City and and have that be like a military occupation and tells Pancho to like go back to the country and let all of his people go. Pancho accidentally robs a bank like you do. And Sierra accidentally kills the teller. Yeah, and gets sentenced to death. He then begs and pleads for his life. Madero saves him at the last minute to just be exiled. He becomes a sad drunk and probably hangs out with the champ in my new forthcoming fanfiction. The champ did spend some time in Tijuana, so, you know, maybe that's why. They just got sad drunk together. While Madero gets killed by Pascal, then Pancho Villa gets angry about that, comes back to Mexico to defeat Pascal and everybody else who betrayed his great friend Madero. And then in, this is where we break from history hard. Yes. One, there is a whole subplot where he goes and in really a very politically complicated sequence, I don't know what the movie is trying to say with, invades the house of a sort of landed gentry guy, Adon, who had been helping Madero, but doesn't want to help Pancho's more unseemly revolution. And Pancho is like, oh, I see, you you only care about the poor when you get to still look cool and it doesn't mean anything for you. And you're like, fuck yeah. And then Pancho's like, also, I'm going to sexually assault your sister and take over your house. And no, very bad. Were we not supposed to be on his side in the earlier scene where he was saying shit about the ruling order anyway he ends up murdering the the sister sort of by accident yeah she tries to shoot him he takes her gun her brother don felipe there's a struggle and the gun goes off and shoots her yeah um and this is important for the very end of the movie but we now have our hard break from history where he then just continues marching south and takes over mexico city and just wins the revolution and goes, boy, this isn't for me. I'm just a simple country lawyer. Oh, you you missed the part. I mean, he wins the revolution, but like, let's be clear. He also makes himself president. Yes. Wins the revolution, <laughs> makes himself president. Is not what happened in real life. Implements all of the parts of Madero's agenda to help the poor that Madero didn't get to do because Pascal and all the other jerks were stopping him. Which also, not at all what happened in real life. Uh, and then retires to the country because he just cannot stand the stuffy parties of the presidency. Where Don Felipe guns him down one day. And his reporter friend, who's been around for the whole movie, and is apparently a conflation of like three separate real-life reporters who traveled with Pancho Villa at various times during the Mexican Revolution gives a kind of touching speech because, you know, Pancho's too stupid to do that himself, and he dies. End of film. Huh, just going back through it made me mad again. (laughs) (laughs) It's kind of infuriating because it's also one of those things where, like, yeah, as you said, like, when reading the actual Wikipedia page of what actually happened, it's such a more interesting movie than this one. 
this movie goes to so much effort to create an uncomplicated figure out of its lead, and it's so much more boring and so much less effective. It's just bad on every level. It is bad on every level. Some memorable things, though, that don't necessarily come up in the plot description. He has one particular wife, Rosita, who constantly is showing up when he's out partying or whatever, because apparently the only part of their relationship that she worries about is whether or not he's home by nine o'clock. Which, of course, he never is. So she will, like, show up to a bar where he's got a girl in his lap and smack him. And that woman, Rosita, is played by Catherine DeMille, who was Cecil B. DeMille's adopted daughter. Okay. And in probably the most Hollywood tragedy I can possibly imagine, her first child drowned in the lily pond of W.C. Field's house. Jesus. Yeah, right? I read that and was like, wow, that is dark. So yeah, she was orphaned because her dad died in World War II and her mom died of tuberculosis and then her own child drowned in a lily pond of one of the most famous actors ever to live. And she had to be in this movie. So just a real rough go of it all around. She had a really rough life, yeah. She also was sued for divorce in Juarez, Mexico, and she died of Alzheimer's. So like kind of a kind of a bummer of a life. Hopefully she gets to be in better movies later on. Yeah. <sighs> anyway, moving on. Another thing about this movie that I thought was if not interesting but hilarious. So when Pancho is giving his big speech to tell his army to go home because Madero is is like, now we just have to be peaceful and have a wonderful, happy life. There is an extra in the bottom left who is just giving it his all. And like, that guy deserves an Academy Award <laughs> because there is no reason when you are getting paid when an extra gets paid to put that much work into it. And then there's the the boy who plays the bugle who comes back later and like dies tragically in Wallaceberry's arms, but they show him crying because he doesn't get to go to war anymore. And I have never seen such obvious glycerin tears in my entire life. No one's tears are that fat ever. Can we also talk about a, <laughs> this is a much larger, like what is even happening thing, but it's my favorite plot detail from the movie which is there's the newspaper friend that follows him around uh, and reports on everything he does, who gets incredibly drunk and just writes a big report about how Pancho Villa took over a town called Santa Rosalita. But he hasn't. <laughs> and turns out he hasn't. And so here's the thing. Pancho Villa then, just to do a solid for his buddy, goes and takes over the town. And does it in the way that the guy wrote about. Because he's like, which way did we come in? And he says, I wrote that it was, you know, from the south. And Pascal is like, well, we can't go in via the south because that doesn't make any sense or whatever. And he's like, well, no. <laughs> There's a river. <laughs> but he said that's how we did it. So, so we gotta. The thing that really weirds me out about that, though, is that, like, that wouldn't work. He gets a telegram from his boss after... Pancho Villa does all this. That's like, great work. Tremendous scoop. Don't know how you got this three days before everyone else. If I write a newspaper story, send it to the newspaper, <laughs> and then make it happen two days later, my boss at the newspaper wouldn't be like, 
oh, great work. You really, you really got a scoop on that one. Like, I, I don't know. It was, it was the teens. Like, it was kind of, uh, I don't think they had fact checkers. I mean, sure. But on that, like, (laughs) what's funny is that Johnny Sykes, who is the American reporter, is probably the actual hero of this movie in the way that it is written. Because he's like, there for all of the stuff and he's always on Poncho's side and he's able to articulate himself because they don't make him into a toddler. Poncho dies in his arms. Like You're right. He is the one that goes and tells Poncho that Madero is dead and like brings him out of a drunken stupor to go and revive the revolution. You're right. He actually makes all of the important decisions in the film and publicizes and makes our hero famous. He just talks Pancho Villa into stuff. This is essentially Hollywood's way of approaching the Mexican Revolution, which is, no, there was just a scrappy young reporter who was a white guy from America who is responsible for all of the good things that happened. Like, what? How how do you figure that? Their inspiration for this is that apparently Ambrose Bierce went to Mexico in his 70s and hung out with Pancho Villa. And that was, I guess that was the inspiration for it. Uh, there was another reporter I thought was more directly an inspiration because uh, Ambrose Bierce d- d- dies. Mysteriously disappears and dies doing that, which not in the film. No, which sucks because Ambrose Bierce would have been a really hilarious addition to this movie. Uh, he, yes. But there's also a, like, reporter from, like, some Hearst paper that is there for the early revolution they talk about briefly in the Wikipedia page. And I thought, oh, it's that guy. But, yeah, I don't... I don't want to talk about the cinematography in this movie, except to say, actually, you know what? I do, because there's some incredibly bad special effects in this film. Oh, boy, is there. When they're riding trains. When they're riding trains or when Pancho is on a horse. It is awful. It's like comically awful. It's what they make fun of when there's really bad driving sequences in movies where you can tell that the background is fake. One of the things that frustrated me about this movie a lot is that in a way, it's actually very well directed. Whenever they're having any kind of discussion about something, it's never like, well, we're in a room again. Like it's always got an interesting setting. They're on a train and somebody is shaving with a piece of broken glass because that's all that they have or they're in this bar where a woman is dancing and showing her underwear which like was that a thing yeah i i (laughs) maybe i don't know it's some really great fan service but i don't know that it was at all accurate or maybe this is like the 19 teens version of a strip club but it's as far as giving actors business to do whenever there are discussions about things, it's very intelligently directed, which was like, how did this guy not see the forest for the trees? <laughs> I do feel like a little bit it is a like, you know, when, well, one, apparently there were three directors. So apparently maybe he did. And then there were some pickups. But two, I do feel like the problem with this movie is much more on the writing end than on the directing end. I mean, obviously the casting is extremely bad, but I do feel like it's the writing that turns Pancho Villa into a a man-child. It's the writing that, that wants this to be essentially a light comedy with a bunch of, like, weird running joke bits. Right. And then, like, two strong dramatic monologues, and that's it. Yeah, Pancho Villa hates pigeons. And the artist that he wants 
to draw something for him. He wants him to draw a bull, and the artist is like, I'm an artist, I can't just draw a bull. And it's like, if you're an artist, you can draw a bull if you can draw a pigeon. Also, why does Pancho Villa hate pigeons? Why is this a joke? I mean, I, you know, I thought we were going for an incredibly literary, like, Shakespeare joke about, like, the horns, bulls, like, masculinity. There's a dirty thing to writing a bull on a love note. Like, I'm not gonna do it. But then the joke just kept fucking coming back in weirder and weirder contexts. And it was literally only just, I'm an artist, I can't do that. And I'm like, that... That doesn't make any sense. Yeah. I'm a baker. I can't make a cake. I can only make bread. Like, that's that's not an argument. <laughs> I mean, again, it seems like he was saying that, like, I could draw a bull. I do not wish to draw a bull. I have, like, a moral reservation about drawing a bull, which in a love note to a woman, almost I could kind of make some sense of that. But when at the end he's like, I can't draw a bull on money, it's like, okay, so just some... Some producer really liked the bull joke, just like that tested well, so we had to put it in five different scenes, apparently. Like, it is... And there's, like, a couple of those. There's, like, these weird, like, running joke characters in the film. Uh, And, like, weird running jokes about... I mean, essentially, that's... That's how they treat Pancho Villa being a bigamist, is as this wacky running joke where he gets married to all the women he wants to sleep with. Right, that he doesn't actually understand that that doesn't make it okay. He's like, oh yeah, well, of course I get married all the time because I was raised in a religious house. Okay, yeah, because you are a man-child, that is your interpretation of that. Great, cool. And I seriously doubt that the real Pancho Villa was that literal-minded. Yeah. I, eh. Hey, everybody. You're listening to the Screen Test of Time, which you almost certainly already know, because you, like, clicked on it on a website or an app or something. Speaking of apps, if you could like us in that app or subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already or review the podcast, all of that is super helpful for getting more people exposed to Screen Test of Time, which is good. If you haven't listened to the podcast, you gotta just trust me on that. But I feel like probably you have before, so thanks. I kind of want to just rate this film so that it can be a movie that I forget in three weeks. I want to forget this movie by the time we're talking about all the movies from this year. (laughs) There's no way. There's literally no Uh, way one could ever forget this movie. Yeah. I don't know. This project's going to go on for a while, Susan. Like, I was charting it out, and we're going to be doing this almost a decade from now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know what to give this. Like, we gave in old Arizona a one, and... While this is a more competently made film, I I feel like it's actually more racist. I would agree that I think it's more racist. I'm going to give it a two. I'm going to give it a two. It does. It it is so wrongheaded about basically everything. The central performance is so weak. It made me dislike the actor, which is... <laughs> I, which just is, I, that does not happen very much. It doesn't even, it, like, it's not even informative. It's not even, like, boy, if, if you just ignore the, like, racist 
decisions made by the studio system, it is at least bringing attention to the story of Pancho. V- no, it's not because everything it says about him is nonsense. Like it, he wasn't an idiot man child and he didn't win the Mexican revolution. Like everything, everything of any importance you learn about the man is not true. Yeah. Yeah. Or anyone else for that matter. Like Madero was not a saintly person who was, who was a martyr for the poor because Pascal was basically an aristocrat who wanted to keep stuff from poor people. Like, that's also not true. Yeah, there's nothing about it that is educational. And I, I mean, I guess looking at it from this perspective, where we have Wikipedia on our phone, it did, I did learn something because I looked up this information. <laughs> But not from the movie. I mean, I in a weird way, that makes me like the movie even less, though, because I feel like in a 1934 context, way more people would be really familiar with the story of Pancho Villa. He was a, a very charismatic guy. He knew how to do PR. A lot of people knew about Pancho Villa, and he had died barely a decade beforehand. And so... It is weird to take this many liberties, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I guess, like, a lot of people knew about him being, you know, people who who read, like, Hearst papers. But do you think, like, your average cinema goer in the rest of the United States would have known very much about him at all? And then they're watching this and, like, this is the information that they get? That's terrible. <laughs> right. I mean, I guess, I guess, yeah, there's kind of a like, it's the worst of both worlds. Because I think they would be familiar with him. Ostensibly, when we do, I'm thinking of like all the fucking 9-11 movies that we've done in the past like 10 years or so. When we talk about history this recent in film, it's supposed to recontextualize what you thought you knew. This just uncomplicatedly presents an even more watered-down version of the heroic Pancho Villa that he presented as in, like, mass media, and just has a white dude play him. Like, doesn't go into, like, hey, he was a bandit for a long time. Hey, he was kind of a failed revolutionary for a lot of this. Mm-hmm. Like, th- doesn't talk about any of the interesting, complicating stuff. It's just, like... I know we have all those newsreels of him, but he's at, that's that's a Mexican guy, and I feel like if we just have a white guy do all that, just do the exact same things with the exact same narrative arc, it'll be great. <sighs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna give. I'm still gonna hold steady at a one. That's fair. I like. I'm literally giving it a two for I did not have trouble understanding what people were saying. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'd give it, I would give it a two, except like I'm, I'm giving it even more decimal points off for being more racist than in old Arizona. Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. Uh, don't watch this movie. I don't, I don't, don't. know if that's. Absolutely if, not. I, I don't know if we need to make subtext text in that way, but don't watch this movie. No, it sucks. Especially if you want to have any respect for, like, I genuinely started looking up how many more times we were going to have to see Wallace Beery after this movie. Because you're mad at him. I'm I'm, mad at him. I'm extremely mad at him. And I think of him so much more poorly as a performer from this, not just for choosing to take the role, but from his performance in it. Like, I would, I was, I mean, you, 
I I went into this like, well, at least Wallace Beery's in it. Like, at least our white guy doing it is an actor I've seen before who I know can can be talented, has been talented in or pe- appeared talented in a lot of the movies we've watched so far. And he just can't break out of type, can't do something. He just plays the champ in everything. Yeah, he just plays the champ in everything. Grand Hotel was the only time he did not uncomplicatedly play just the champ. And it sucks. He still had a little bit of the champ in there. Yeah, when he well, when he strangles the the Duke or whatever to death. Yeah. He beats him to death with a phone. Beats him to death with a phone? Yes. That episode came out recently. But on to next week, when we get to watch a movie that, as far as I know, is actually very good. (laughs) What are we watching next week? I've opened so many tabs to discuss this. The Thin Man. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so excited about this because I love Thin Man ripoffs so much, but I've never actually seen The Thin Man. Well, brilliant. Hopefully it will be amazing. Yeah. So look forward to next week when, God willing, we will not have to discuss how racist the movie we watched was. Well, I... There'll be a cute dog. Join us next week when there'll definitely be a cute dog. But it'll still be 1934, so fingers crossed. Yes. There will at least be a good boy. (laughs) Alright. Until then. Oh, this was a movie. Until then. This was a movie is the most positive thing I can say about this film. Yup. Yup. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye. Okay, I'm sorry. I had to come back for this. Yes. Because what also pissed me off is the movie's called Viva Via. And that's the thing that his assassins screamed right before to get his attention right before they killed him. It's one of the few things people can say absolutely that we know this for sure about the assassination of Pancho Villa. And they don't even fucking do that in the movie. They don't even do it right. You're kidding me. I didn't. I, I must have missed that in the Wikipedia article because that's infuriating. <laughs> yeah, I was reading the Wikipedia page and I'm like, oh, well, that explains the title. Like, that we end on this dramatic, amazing scene where someone yells Viva Vila and then kills him. And then they fuck it up. They can't even do that right. Oh, do not watch this movie. (laughs) I just... (laughs) Unprecedented step of turning the recording back on. Just director's cut extra commentary because that infuriated me so much. Now I'm done talking about this terrible film. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody.